Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 71. I'm Rocco, and along with me this week, I got three cool dudes sitting beside me, Ryan, Zeb, and Mike. Michael? Should I say Michael? Mike? Either one is fine. Okay. And we have another awesome guest today with Dustin Chrysak from Ubuntu Budgie. Welcome, Dustin. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. So you are an active Ubuntu Budgie team member, and you've been since December of 2016. You are a Snapcrafter, an open source contributor. Anything else we should know about you? Uh, are you talking specifically OSS or <laughs> outside of that? <laughs> anything. Anything important we need to know about you. Well, I can't claim that it's important, but uh, you, you covered most of the uh, open source stuff outside of that. You know, just family member uh, work, just like everyone else. Traditionally work more on the infrastructure side. Uh, management lately, but we'll see where that goes. Uh, outside of that, I'm a pretty boring guy, actually. like to snowboard here and there. Okay. I'm pretty boring. I just like snowboarding. Yeah, I'm just a developer. Yeah, I, out of <laughs> you know, I, I don't Bungie know. cord into volcanoes, but other than that, I'm pretty, pretty boring. <laughs> I don't know what kind of snowboarding you do, Ryan, but... None? <clears throat> All right, the volcano kind. It's apparently yeah, the volcano kind. It's so extreme. <laughs> Dustin, you were with us back on episode forty-four. That's a long time ago, dude. It's a while, and uh, we were discussing seventeen oh four at the time. So Ryan wanted me to point out that this was an important episode for us because it is. And now that I'm going to mention this, we're going to have trolls that are going to. Go do it anyway, but it is one of the only episodes that we have that got yep. all thumbs up and not one thumb down on the video. So, which is amazing because we're quite certain there's like a neck beard somewhere with a mug that waits for any of our videos to go up, and the second it does, he's like, "Thumb down, thumb down." But for you, he was on vacation or something. And I have a screenshot of it, so we can prove we it. can prove it. <laughs> So there's no pressure on this episode, Dustin, to make it good. None. It's right? only because I apologized in advance on YouTube to everyone. <laughs> Instead of commenting first, you said, I'm sorry. So we kind of covered this a little bit at the beginning, but, you know, every just, um, you know, guest we have on, especially when they're in the development team or involved in development, they all have these incredible talents. Like, you know, they'll talk about, oh, I play instruments and I have a band and I go kayaking and I run in marathons and I cure rare diseases. So, Dustin, what is your rare talent that we can all be jealous of? Um, being late? No, just kidding. <laughs> oh, that's Michael's. That's no, power. Michael has that down pat, so we're good yeah. there. That's right. Uh, Talent-wise, I mean... Most of the time I spend, like I said, snowboarding. I've been doing that since about 1986, and I'm still actively doing that a fair amount. Fortunately, I live close to uh, places like Whistler and Mount Baker, so I can still go even at this point in time. Uh, technically, I mean, it's, it's more like data center stuff, which doesn't really apply to open source, and that's kind of part of the reason why I started coming in on this was to kind of expand my uh, horizons and sort of backfill what I 
didn't know and just also to interact with more people. So there isn't really um, any special talents. I don't play instruments. Uh, I don't know. Does does uh, listening to my kids play instruments count? Is that close enough? I mean, you made talented kids. That's a that's a talent. <laughs> that's a talent. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm going with anyway. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'm pretty good with that one. No, snowboarding definitely qualifies. I mean, so yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I did snowboarding twice, and it wasn't oh. pretty either time. That's why I've well, never tried it. I, I've always any. Anything I've ever told anyone about it is if you're going to try it, you have to keep trying it until you can make it from top to bottom at least once. Then you can make an educated decision whether you want to keep going or not. I just make a little mountain of snow about a foot high. (laughs) I I French fried when I should have pizzaed. Uh Oh, Oh, little in joke there. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, (laughs) The insiders know, Zeb. (laughs) It references skiing, so... Yeah, it's not even snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are here for Ubuntu Budgie, so let's get into the Ubuntu Budgie business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ubuntu, Ubuntu Budgie became a official flavor about around the time you joined the team, right? Like uh, it, before that, the, I came in; they were already an official flavor. Okay. So, but the, so that was in the, like 2016 when they when they got the the first announcement to be re- to start releasing as an official. That so that means that the 1804 release was the first LTS that Ubuntu Buddies ever been ever produced. So was there any kind of difference in like the pressure or atmosphere preparing for an LTS versus a non LTS? Um, I wouldn't say there was uh, more of a pressure, but there were different considerations. Like for example. What a lot of people don't realize is that you don't just automatically get LTS status, that you actually have to go and apply for it. And you actually have to have uh, a history behind your project and and sort of outline how you're going to support things, how you're going to deal with the SRUs and the security aspects. So there was that extra little thing. It wasn't insane, but it was just kind of another key point that you had to do. Um, uh, The need for testing was kind of, I don't know, at least perceived to be heavier because it's an LTS. You want to make sure that your ducks are lined up before you go and put that to the public. But overall, it kind of just felt like another release. Like there wasn't like a sense of, there was no less sense of urgency with 1804 than there is with any other sort of release. Mm -hmm. You You want to put out the best possible thing that you can with the people that you have and the resources that you have. So while it's just as important, it's a big milestone for us. Absolutely. Like, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay it. Um, this is also my point of view. Maybe if you ask someone else in our team, they might be going, what the heck are you talking about right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like stressing for like eight weeks straight. Like, man, you're obviously not doing enough in the project. Then. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there were all those aspects. I mean, there was also some of the other changes that were, uh, like, for example, welcome going to a snap for the first time for us in an LTS. I mean, I guess some may consider that sort of risky, but it's at it was sort of the right time, I guess, the right place. You know, we had to get it out there. It's sort of where the world's going. So it, I wouldn't say it's more stressful, though. Not not to me anyways. That's interesting. <laughs> what are some of the differences, though? Because you mentioned, you know, you had to have a specific. Is it a plan you have to have set for support? For an LTS, is it, and you have to have names of people listed or a process of exactly what happens, or what is it? How does that work? 
Exactly that. You literally have to lay out which people on your teams are accountable for sort of X, Y, and Z, some of that security. You have to make sure or rather present the plan that you have in place for testing. Um, it, it, it is exactly what you said and how you're going to deal with uh, uh, packaging SRUs. Um, it, it all has to be laid out. They, they want to know that you're going to be there for the duration of the LTS, that it's not just going to sort of like, all right, we're winging it. It's out there. You know, but then a year and a half, everyone loses interest and there's no support. Well, you can't have that. So you actually have to have the plan to fill out the duration. The other aspect that a lot of people don't realize is that you as a flavor have the option, whether you're going to run a three-year LTS or a five-year LTS. Um, Mm. Most people just tend to assume that it's a five-year, but that's actually just Ubuntu proper. If I'm not mistaken, every single flavor opted for a three-year, and it's just, you know, question of priorities and, well, maybe not priorities, but just, you know, manpower and sort of what's really support. Based on the history, even like since 1404, so that's always been three years. Yeah, exactly. But people just assume it's five. So, and I myself was guilty of that in the past, so. (laughs) So you talked about the the rest of the, uh, the budgie team. What are they like to work with? Is it a is it a serious work environment, or do you get a chance to relax and have some fun as well? Uh, I wouldn't call it serious. It's actually fairly casual. You know, we're all in our sort of channels and just sort of discuss, and it's pretty informal. There's no uh, crazy structure to it at all, really. Like not not in a bad way. That might actually sounds like disorganization, but it. <laughs> it's chill. Like, you know, you come up, you, you discuss any key points and issues or ideas that you have and everyone's extremely open and receptive. There's, it's, it's like that casual work environment where you're just, you're smiling, you're happy to walk in and kind of get your job done. Nice. So you said about the LTS and, um, the team that you have to have, the plan you have to have in place, is there a certain amount of team members that are needed for that? Uh, it's not that there's a certain number of team members that are needed. It's a certain number of bodies. So, for example, uh, the QA process, things like that, you just have to have enough or at least have shown that there's enough people involved. So you have key stakeholders for each area that are sort of assigned and you list out those people by name. But then, for example, in our QA, we uh, in the proposal, we're able to reference to our uh, Bugbusters team, which is, you know, it's a launchpad organization. You, you put the URL in the proposal and they can go see how many people are there and involved and sort of have a look at what the history is. And, and that sort of paints the picture that they need to see or hear. Well, you're, you're in Canada and you have devs based in, I would take it, all around the world. So... You know, with, even with this podcast, trying to schedule times uh, with different time zones is is challenging. So do you run into the same thing where, you know, it's hard to get people together at the same time or? If if it's a, a specific task or item that requires the entire team, then absolutely. Uh, for example, prior to this, as I mentioned, I was in another meeting that was actually our monthly team meeting and getting everyone in all the time at the same time can be difficult just because of, you know, obviously the time zones, uh, but also other commitments and things like that, or there's a mix up with, you know, daylight savings times. And so I'd say that's stuff that probably most people deal with unless you are, you know, 15 years in on distributed teams and you have the processes in place. But I mean, the reality is, is it's all volunteers. So uh, 
Yeah, we absolutely have it for the individual tasks. It's much, much easier because, you know, it's one-on-one. So it's like me and it's you and you go and say, Hey, we're going to meet at this time. And you know, that's it. So it gets easier. It's probably the traditional stuff that like everybody sort of goes through. I wouldn't say there's anything different or necessarily harder. You just have to sort of make that effort to become aware of the time zone differences and you sort of figure out the windows that sort of work for everyone. So it gets easier, but you know, so since you have an international team, have you, Zeb and Wimpy have been telling us about this thing called <clears throat> Marmite and Vomit. I mean, Bo- Bovril or something like that. Have you, or have you heard of these? Anybody else eating this sludge? Well, I've definitely heard of people eating it. Uh, I may have attempted Marmite at one time. I cannot say that I am a fan. We, uh, <laughs> we do have a Tesco section here in Canada and some of the grocery stores. So you know, they like to call out some of the uh, imports, but I cannot say that I've actually. Purchased. So you don't support it. You're not a big supporter of that. All right. Well, there's just two left then, uh, Zeb and Wimpy. Um, the podcaster of- that shall not be named. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> podcaster that shall not be named. Uh, no, but when we were talking, uh, getting back to the serious questions, we were talking uh, earlier this week. We talked about, and, and actually Rocco and I discussed this and Michael as well, that certain times people confuse Ubuntu Budgie as Solus because people just call it Budgie. Like, hey, I'm running Budgie. And then sometimes the assumption is one or the other. So to clear it up kind of once and for all, what are some of the key differences between Ubuntu Budgie and Solus? Well, I mean, they're two completely different projects, different uh, Linux bases. I mean, Solus is obviously Ike. He wrote the Budgie desktop for the Solus project. Mm-hmm. Um, he had at one point split out the desktop into its own project. So that's why there's that extra website. Uh, Ubuntu Budgie uh, simply is an Ubuntu base with the Budgie desktop. So between Solus and Ubuntu Budgie, there isn't really that connection. There's the commonality of the desktop which is, you know, upstream uh, definitely from us. And uh, whether Ike considers Budgie Desktop upstream from him, I mean, that's, you know, that's his, it's his babies. He he wrote them all. So um, we are a downstream consumer of his desktop that he wrote for uh, Solus. And we are extremely lucky to be able to get that because he's done some excellent work there. We inherit a lot of it. Um, it's one of those things like they're definitely three distinct sort of entities. Um, but there is a lot of confusion and that's traditionally why, like if I hear someone just reference to us as bad, yeah, like I try to clarify it. It's, I know, sure. It's hard to say Ubuntu budgie. It's longer, <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, is they are different things and you can't sort of lump them together. Yeah. Even though like they're very, there's commonality, of course, but like there, people have to understand that the upstream project, like that's where the majority of the work comes. You know, we can't take credit for that. We, we are lucky to inherit it just as Ubuntu is with GNOME and all of that. There's, there's different entities and different people doing different things. And we are definitely not the drivers of the budgie desktop. Have you considered uh, a branding rechange to Ubudge to? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Brilliant idea, Michael. <laughs> Maybe it would help, but I don't think that's come up 
we'll leave that you as the uh, proposer and the inventor on that one. All right. Well, I think that might be more of a mouthful than Ubuntu budgie, to be honest. <laughs> Probably. So, I had to think about it for a second before I said it. <laughs> so how close does the budgie team work with Ikey and the Solus team? I mean, you mentioned that they are the people who, who, who made it and created it, but surely you must come up with some ideas um, from Ubuntu budgie and think, Hey, maybe this would be good if they incorporated it in budgie. So to- how much do you talk? nowhere near as much as we should like to be honest there's a you know somewhat of a separation there it's something that i think needs to change Mm. um you know like you need to have or and again this is my opinion that you need to have a good relationship with upstream or else you're just gonna run into problems for everyone you know and that's part of the things like these clarifications of you know budgie versus solace versus that you know like they're everyone's their own idea and should have their own marketing and all that other kind of fun stuff. But we haven't, we haven't uh, worked upstream anywhere near as much as we should. Um, That's something that needs to change, should change. There's uh, so for example, there's so like KDE connect and there's the, you know, M connect and all those other mobile connectors. Uh, We've had some interest with some people about developing something like that for budgie. So which would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something that should be worked on with upstream. And that's something that needs to be approached and broached. And, and because any work that may initiate on either side of the fence, it, it's better to bring it back into the whole ecosystem. And it's something that hasn't happened as much. I mean, if you look at all the budgie extra applets, I mean, those aren't upstream in Solus right now. Um, I wasn't really like overly part of that. That's something that, you know, maybe could or should or, you know, going forward kind of thing, it needs to happen way more and should happen more because they do great work upstream. Um, it, and if we could contribute back there, we absolutely should. And we do need to get better at that. Not as much takeaway, not as much as we should, and it needs to change. Nice. So have you had any conversations with Ike about, you know, how much, well, obviously it's been a lot, but how much benefit being on the Destination Linux show has been helpful to your distros? <laughs> I can speak for Ike. <laughs> okay. Why not? It's okay, too. It's yeah. okay. Yeah, he, he won't mind. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's helped immensely. Um, exactly. Obviously. It helps, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm uh, just curious about the, like, we were talking about the the decision-making stuff for a bunch of budgie. And how, how they're, so, you know, you're separate from this, the budgie team. Like, what kind of like guidelines or principles do you use about adding features or removing features for Ubuntu budgie specifically? Uh, specifically for us, we try to listen to the community, which I mean, everyone likes to say that. But I mean, if you go, for example, look on our uh, discourse forum, there's a post there that David uh, put out there about our default browser. So we've been Chromium of the past. Um, Firefox has had some great updates, you know, once all the quantum stuff came out and, you know, it's a decent browser. So now we're starting to reevaluate that. We put that out there. We're soliciting information. We'll see where it goes. It's nice. We try to ask the community. We try to get a gut feel for it. And then we try to make that decision. You know, you have to take into consideration that, um, not everybody responds to those. So it may not always be a, a, a clear cut decision, but you have to kind of go a little bit on your gut, you know, unless people actually get in there and, mm. and say something because there's always other considerations. Like for example, in Ubuntu, I believe like Chromium is going snap only. I, 
that's what I've heard. I don't know for sure how solid that is. So then that brings into consideration, like our, our, is our user community going to want to use a snapped browser? I don't know. That's something we got to figure out. People are either for or against or, or for or against specific aspects, but you know, try to bring everything in, evaluate it and listen to everyone and then go with sort of what we perceive to be kind of the direction people want. It's interesting. My snap browser is, is, is interesting. Like there's not really much of an obvious difference for no. just, just a bit, especially depending on the browser itself. A lot of people talk about the theming aspect. Like that's something that a lot of people get hung up. Oh on. yeah. Yeah. Um, I hear that a lot. But well, with Firefox and Chrome, they have like, <laughs> they have their own bust custom toolkits and stuff. So like they're yeah. like, you, you really don't even like they, but they're both based on like a version of GTK, but they're, yeah. they're also very custom. So you really wouldn't notice much of a difference. No, not in themes. I'm just sorry. I guess I'm sort of generalizing a bit with snaps, yeah. you know, yeah. but I mean, for sure. it, it, sometimes people don't like uh, uh, to install a brand new application. It looks like 1995. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> right. What year is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> so when features get added to the budget desktop, like you just had 18 to four release, um, new features get added uh, in the next couple months there. You're not going to be able to actually, people are not going to get those updates right away? Well, it depends which version you're running, right? So um, any uh, features, let's let's call them applets, really. Like we're, we're not adding features to the core desktop. And if we did, that's something that needs to happen upstream. So if we're adding any sort of applets and by extension features, um, a lot of the times, I mean, we put it in backports and we... Uh, so if you add the backport PPA, you can get all of that pretty much immediately as soon as we put it in there. So can you explain hmm. like what the backports are for exactly and they can just add them through the terminal like a PPA? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, in our case, you can add it from the welcome screen. Uh, backports, I mean, it's uh, if you look at the term backport, it's traditionally uh, you might be backporting like features or security fixes or things like that. In our particular right. case, it's limited in scope more so to the software that we actually package or maintain. So I'm not going to say we're backporting security fixes, you know, for Ubuntu. That's not it. That's what they're. Yeah, that's what they do. Yeah, exactly. So, so. I'm actually curious about the backports thing. So if you, if you do it more of a, a specific approach and it seems like it could be more like a modular approach as well, um, how far back can the back, backports BPAs go? Like if say there's some stuff you make for 1904, could those, those up those applets be backported to 1804 for example yes uh so what we generally do is we backport and package for any of the supported versions nice for us right now because we were not an official 1604 lts we're actually dropping our 1604 in august a little bit early just uh one we don't have a lot of users on it it wasn't an official canonical flavor at the time it just there's not a lot of requirement to spend the time there. So we're going to cut ours in about August. We we've put that out there. We haven't done the official, you know, blog post announcement. So that'll be coming out. Breaking news. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Um, So, but outside of that, we, we fill our backports with anything that's active. So that would include uh, 1710 until it drops 1804. You know, if we get into 1904, obviously there's going to be, 1810 if it's still under support you know what i mean so yeah. it's a supported canonical version then we package for it in our backports very nice so 
And that includes all the applets or anything else that we may or may not maintain. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the about section, um, Ubuntu Budgie is probably one of the very few distros that doesn't mention it being lightweight or, or being light on resources. Um, it just mentions that it is for modern computers. So does this give you more flexibility in not having to worry about older hardware or you know, are we reading too much into this and you just don't want to get into the whole lightweight, heavyweight um, sort of scenario? What was, what's the, the reasoning behind that? So the reasoning behind that is, is um, one, we've never said we're light. That's not really the goal. Uh, if people perceive us as light, that means something's being done correctly somewhere upstream or with us or wherever it sits. Um, but the modern hardware definitely brings an advantage, mostly because it's setting expectations for the user base. You know what I mean? Like the idea is, is that you're going to be supporting uh, a modern set of hardware, which kind of gives you that roving window back and forth of, you know, what you deem as modern. Obviously, there's some interpretation there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I mean, a prime example is, is like, is it really a surprise that we've dropped 32-bit ISO support? Well, probably not. I, I wouldn't classify that as modern hardware. I mean, sure, it's at the same time where, let's face it, most people are kind of heading that way. So mm-hmm. it's easier for us to do something like that simply because the expectation is there that modern hardware. So mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely helps. I mean, I really like this because it's, you know, some distros can be light, but they're not. That word is just getting so much together. I don't even know what it's supposed to mean anymore. <laughs> and, and it's you know. Mean. It's you don't have to worry about in this case, but yeah, it's like a meme in this case, like someone going, Oh, I got a IBM blue lightning, 75 megahertz. Why can't I run budget? It says light in the text, but you guys removed that entirely. Because I have a Commodore know, 64. I want to run budget. Yeah. I want to run budget. Why isn't it work? Um, which has got to help from a support standpoint as well, because you're not spending all of your time trying to go order a Commodore 64 off eBay to see why that guy's computer is not working you can focus on kind of the more modern stuff. And I think that represents Budgie and a lot of the desktops within Linux better because it's just been a plague of Linux for a long time about everybody saying it's for older hardware. If you got older hardware, Linux is great. Well, it's great on the modern stuff too. So I like that you guys don't mention it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I believe that even comes upstream. I mean, right. So yeah. Yeah. So Solus is definitely not worried about lightness. That, cause yeah, they don't, yeah, right. they don't use, they're not using that uh, buzzword. Yeah. I, I would say that that's probably more towards the desktop as a whole. Like, you know, like the budgie desktop is based for modern computers, you know, not necessarily Ubuntu budgie, not, you know what I mean? So it's, it, it's something, it's an aspect that we also get to inherit, but it definitely, it's just a, it's a perk across the way, really. It's kind of, like I said, it's just set that expectation that people can't be overly surprised when certain things get depreciated. Well, yeah. that term of being light is, it used to mean a lot more than it does now. I mean, when, now yeah. that, uh, it was important in 1999. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. RAM is expanding, processors are getting better. I mean, so it used to mean a lot when you said a lightweight desktop and it doesn't mean I, as much anymore. I think really in this day and age, like the, the term light is kind of wrong. Like I think what people are really looking for is performant. If you really want to talk about it, you know, like unless you are that edge case person who is really running like a 75 megahertz machine, well, then, yeah, you need light. But <laughs> today, I think people just want performance or they want the, you know, they don't want that perceived window drag or click or slow reaction. Well, they're 
there are a few people out there that even though they have good machines will want to only run the least amount of RAM they possibly can. You know, it's like a badge of honor to have only, you know, I'm only running a hundred megabytes in this of RAM in this distro, you know? So I think there are edge cases for that. Yeah. Well, then you can run Raspbian on a Raspberry Pi if that's really your thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, one of the standout features getting into, Ubuntu budgie is the welcome screen like this one. When we were talking this week, as all of us were playing around with Ubuntu budgie, that welcome screen uh, screen is just a brilliant piece of work. Now I know that it's a fork from the Mate welcome screen, yep. but this is something that the team has, you know, tailored, I think with some of your own, options within there, within the various sections that you have. It's absolutely amazing. We can go through and talk about each of our favorite features on here, but is this something the team plans to continue to expand upon, leave it as is, or what's the plan with the welcome screen? No, it'll always change. I mean, um, some of the stuff for 1810 is revolving. Like a lot of our work actually goes into that welcome screen. Like I know uh, David spends a bunch of time in there. There's always additional things to be put in. Uh, one of the, you know, like for example, right now to go through it, one of the things I don't personally like is the fact that you have to go into a couple of different spots to install different aspects of software. So mm-hmm. in my opinion, that should come in or at least even if they're organized the way they are, there should at least be one spot you can go to and get to everything. Like if you're just setting up a new machine, you just want to plow through it because you've gone through it 10 times already. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So there's changes like that. There's always going to be additions to things like the existing themes. You know, there's some other ones coming down the line that we've been looking at and addressing. Um, there's, I mean, pretty much it can become anything you want. So I don't see any reason to... Like, just say, oh, it's feature complete, cut it off, we're not going to touch it anymore. Like, that's, no, because it's it's the launch pad for a lot of people, you know what I mean? So if you can improve that experience, I mean, there's a reason they've become pretty prolific in Linux as a whole. Like, yeah, who doesn't have a welcome screen now, you know? And if you look at some of the stuff that, like, Martin's doing with his newest version of it, the way he's... Uh, gone towards abstracting it and and making it so that people can sort of like white label it a little bit and you know the way he broke out boutique and all of that well why did he do that because that's pretty much what people want and he's continued to innovate on it because the welcome screen is it's it's here it's here to stay and you know what form that is it, you know it's wherever people take it so I mean, one of the features that I really like about it, and it's it's becoming more prevalent in distros now, is your your option to add the graphics drivers and yes. the availability of the graphics drivers. Um, but then you take it to another level by offering to give you know a one click install of the NVIDIA PP or the Ubuntu NVIDIA PPAs, so people can people can either just install the driver. Or let's go bleeding edge and let's have the latest NVIDIA driver. And you've made it um, so much quicker. Now, again, was that something that was community driven or something that you, the devs, thought, hey, let's just add this and and, and make it? That one was a little bit, I believe that came in before my time. I wasn't part of that discussion. But my understanding is, is that one came in from the team itself. Because there is a certain amount of like, what can we do to make it easier? You know, like that's really what you're trying to accomplish with that welcome screen is it's sort of there to hold, hold your hand if needed, or even just convenience. You know, it's like, sure, you can uh, try to open the door with a, you know, 
handful of groceries with your elbow or you can ask someone to open it for you. You know, it's going to make it easier. It's just, it, it's helping people get to where they need to be as easy as possible. Well, you said that uh, it's welcome screens are popular among distros, but there are, there's big differences between the welcome yep. screens. And this mm-hmm. one is an awesome uh, version of a welcome screen. It has pretty much everything you're going to need in it. And um, I love the fact that you can install themes and apply the themes right there. I mean, that's just, I mean, I'm a theme guy, but I mean, hey. <laughs> <laughs> the optional tasker is one of my favorites, the adding the back ports and the, and the firewall stuff and things like that. Well, it's in our best interest for people to add backports because then they get the newer stuff as soon as possible or they get the bug fixes that we do. I mean, it's it's also in our best interest to make it as easy as possible for people to get that because if you think historically, like probably at least like a sizable chunk of your users coming in probably aren't even going to have the context or understanding of what a PPA is or how to add it or right. what backports even means. So. Yeah, what I like, you know, the welcome screen is not just for, like you were mentioning, new people to Linux. It's one of those things that when I installed Ubuntu Budgie, and I think that's why we're all talking about it, and it greeted me there, and I'm going through the welcome screen, and these are things that everybody likely needs to do the first time they set up a computer, and it's right there. It sets the flow for the distro to me to say, wow, these guys really care about their project. They're really taking the time to make sure that my first experience within this is good. Most welcome screens are bore fest and have none of the features that I even care about. So it, it's, it is something I think that is magnificent that you guys have done um, or, you know, poured it over and customized because you hit on all of those important topics that I need to address the first time I install a distribution. It's just really well done. Good to hear. I'm glad they're. I'm glad someone's finding some value, you know, to it other than just a nice little pop up to dismiss. Well, well, that's what it used to be. That's what a welcome screen used yeah. to be. I it mean, used to be. A, it used to be an annoying. Like, here's some icons and some text that will open up other applications that you probably don't want. Right. <laughs> and you know, a link so to true, their man. website and you know documentation, but there was nothing helpful in it. So yeah, yeah. Well, probably most people didn't even read them you know it's kind of like the eula when you join a new service oh yeah agree <laughs> yeah exactly so um speaking of uh, you, you know the documentation and stuff like that i did i noticed that the ubuntu budgies website doesn't have an official like user manual section and obviously ryan. that's good news for ryan because he's not going to read it anyway <laughs> who cares but for for those who would are there any plans for creating a specific manual for ubuntu budgie in the future yes it's actually already in work uh, sorry in progress uh, there's sort of some discussion as to the context of what it should be um, and how detailed it should go. So yeah. we we sort of like had one version in, in progress and then it sort of never came to fruition yet because there was that consideration. So we had a discussion actually even this morning about just cutting back the scope, going very screenshot driven, uh, probably focusing on the aspects of the operating system that we get asked about a lot, which is, how do you add the applets? Where are the settings? You know, like there's all these little considerations that if you don't know where to go, uh, a new user might just have some difficulty. So we're going to start there and then we'll just iterate on it and, and build up from there rather than like trying to make it perfect. And then it just never comes out. So um, that was sort of one of the new directions that we had discussed even this morning. So it's coming. Definitely. 
All right. So you have the 1804 just released. So what, I mean, everybody already knows most of the features of it, but what's mm-hmm. your favorite feature of this budgie release? Uh, well, one of them is actually the aesthetic, the new theme. I like that. I actually don't even have to go bother changing the theme anymore. <laughs> Not that I really had to, but I was just that guy. Uh, I like, yeah, the- I know. <laughs> yeah. Rocco knows for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which was always kind of conflicting for me because I'm also the kind of person I like to just install it and start working. I don't like to customize. Sure. I like to have the option, but I don't really want to do it. I'm lazy. <laughs> right. And then, uh, the, other, the, uh, the window shuffler. I'm a big fan of that. Oh my gosh. Uh, you okay, Ryan? <laughs> so good, man. It's so I'm good. Starting off here. Yeah. 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 Um, so there's, uh, that I'm a big fan of, and that's, sort of because I came from i3 before I joined the budgie team. So I'm a huge fan of window tiling above and beyond the actual, uh, what are you laughing about there, Michael? <laughs> I, I He's an i3 user, but he tries to deny it. He used to use <laughs> i3. In fact, if you, if you didn't know, he turned around his computer, he probably is on i3, but he just denies it. <laughs> One of them so, is, is i3, that's, but that's not important. Let's move on. Yeah. So that's uh, that's why that's one of my favorites. It's got a few things that I would like to see added to it that we've already started talking for the next one. Like um, like in eighteen ten, we're gonna hopefully add some keyboard shortcuts, even just for the quarter tiling. So there's a few things to sort of add in there, and and just you know, like I wanted keyboard everything in it when it was built. But yeah, yeah. well, let's get into Shuffler a little bit more for those who are not aware of it or the benefits of a window tiling manager, because a lot of people haven't gone and played with i3 or Xmonad or any of these other tiling managers. And they're like, why, what is it? And why do I even care? So what is it about window tilers first? And then let's get into Shuffler and talk about why Shuffler is such a unique take on. Uh, sure. So for me, anyways, like tiling windows is important because I just, same thing, it's kind of back to, I just want to get to work. Yep. Again, I'm lazy. I don't want to drag windows around. I really don't. I try to stick on the keyboard as much as possible. So I enjoy the window tiling because I just need my windows where they need to be so that I can do what's inside the windows. I don't really care about dragging them around and moving them and stuff like that. So if you look at the traditional you know, tiling window manager, that's exactly how it works. That paradigm works for me. It's not for everyone, right? So uh, some people want maybe kind of that mix and that's sort of where Shuffler came out of, which I mean, the concept itself isn't entirely new. I mean, there's like GNOME extension and other things that do similar things. So mm-hmm. this Shuffler sort of came up in a conversation where I was basically trying to push to have sort of a wrapper <laughs> to have yeah. kind of i3 within Budgie. Um, and so the gentleman who implemented it, um, you know, he, he took it to where he felt was probably better suited to our community, which I cannot disagree with, you know, mm-hmm. I, sure. I love tiling window managers. That doesn't mean everyone does. So this is kind of that middle of the road where it's a application that, you know, you can essentially grid out your screen. Um, it's, and it's GUI based and mouse clicked and all that other kind of fun stuff. So it's fairly intuitive for anyone. And you can, whether you want to have like six columns across and three down, cause you have some ginormous monitor. I don't know. That's, that's really up to you. But well, what just- I love about it is like Rocco is not traditionally a window tiler as far as you don't use window tilers and that type of stuff. But Rocco, you said you were using it. You were telling me the keyboard shortcut. To launch it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so if you hit Windows, the, the Windows key, the Meta key, however way you want to say it, yeah. and S, um, it'll bring the it'll bring the shuffler up, and it starts out with four, and you can raise it up to I guess six each way. Six by six, yeah. And you can assign each window to a different uh, corner or different spot. You can make them larger, so you can have the right window larger than the left two windows and make them smaller. It was just. It's got so many features built into it that even the GNOME extensions, um, they don't come to me. They don't come close to giving you the functionality that this shuffler gives you, uh, including the screenshot part of it where you can set your windows up, take a screenshot of it, change them again, and then go back to that configuration that you had. I mean, these are awesome features that are involved in it. So, yeah, I love it. The rollback feature is is awesome. Mm. Don't don't try and use it during the middle of a live feed because <laughs> <laughs> I just did. <laughs> and now my windows are all messed up all over the place. So, yeah. Well, the snapshot feature is really cool because once you get your windows arranged, then you can just click that snapshot button when you're you know want them to go back into that. So if you move them yeah. around a little bit to do something, click that snapshot, boom, it's going to move them all back to where they were. It's it's well done because, you know, I3 and some of these others can be overwhelming with the config file. Once you learn the config mm-hmm. file, you can look at it and you're like, well, this doesn't seem overwhelming. But that's after you've spent 12 hours figuring out what they're doing. This is something that anybody, even if they're not familiar with tiling managers, can pick up, look at, execute a very similar capability very quickly. And if you guys keep adding features to this, it's just such a brilliant idea um, that that's extraordinarily well implemented. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's also those other ideas. The other ideas that y'all have that are like some are somewhat similar of the window mover and the dynamic workspaces. Like the the combination of all those three is is a very nice. So like if you like keyboard shortcuts, it's it is it has a lot of benefits there. But also if you're more of a mouse user, you have the same like the hybrid approach of approach of giving the you know the workflow that the user wants regardless of which one they want to use. And uh, I like I like that a lot. So. This, this, the approach of the tiling window management, like how, how much of a focus is this going to be in the future? Like, are, are you going to try to put a, like even more tiling aspects to it? Yeah, we'll continue to iterate on it uh, based on the community's feedback. So if there's more that they would like to see in it, there's absolutely no reason why we wouldn't continue. I know that there's things that I already would like to see. And there's already things that have been discussed. As I mentioned, keyboard shortcuts for quarter tiling. Maybe that'll extend into more than that. Um, we would like to improve our multi-monitor support and how these tools work with multi-monitor. Um, so th- those are all just sort of things that are coming up and, and that uh, we see as a benefit. But it depends on feedback. So if you have an opinion, you got to let us know. So going back to um, where you were talking about theming before, um, mm-hmm. I'm curious that I think this is probably one of the only distros that I've seen in a long, long time that doesn't have workspaces included in the toolbar. Um, again, was this a, a conscious effort on the part of the devs or did this come from the, the community? Uh, that, I believe, was more on our side. So we didn't have it in there originally, but it's also one of those things that we have not had requested. So if you go back to like same defaults and things like that, if, if the community is happy with what you've put out there, there's not really a need to just sort of willy-nilly go and add it. I mean, if if the community spoke, then there would definitely be a consideration. Like, there's not a reason not to have it in there. It's just we've never had it in there, and there hasn't really been any request to put it in there. 
So it's just one of those things that it just sort of flowed out that way. No, Count me as the first request to have it in there. Okay. <laughs> I would like to be the first to deny Ryan's request. Whoa, wait deny. a minute. I, I would yeah, like to be the first to agree with Michael's request to deny of Ryan's request. Of course you agree with Michael, of course. <laughs> I was just really pleased because it's one of the first things that I disable. I go, one, one, yeah. you know, yeah. um, one workspace, and then let's not have that on my taskbar, please. So for it not to yeah. be there, it was like, wow, yeah, this is cool. I what want the ability to have workspaces it is a very vital element to my workflow but i never have them on my panel I, I like that that's incredibly small to i have like 12 workspaces so it doesn't work to be on a panel is what i'm saying yeah so. i always removed it never liked it so i'm really of, yeah hmm. i don't use it i don't click there i mean i just keyboard shortcut over to the next one right yeah exactly rocco do you use workspaces no i've i've never used them long enough to find the benefits from them. I have tried them, but I didn't really, like I would put windows, like I would put say my Firefox window in another workspace and then I would forget that it's there. <laughs> so here's, here's what I'm going to propose that they might be useful for you is uh, once Shuffler is at the point where you can save like multiple layouts, mm-hmm. imagine having like four or five different workspaces with different layouts pre-saved. Yeah. With window arrangement. That'd be pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Like that's where I could see like a value in that for sure. Cause you know, if you have one monitor that's specific for your podcast and then you have another workspace that's specific for, I don't know, doing your show note research or something like that, like you could predefine all that sort of stuff and just kind of get up and running and have it where you want it as quick as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely would be a use case for it. I, like I said, I just haven't in the past used it long enough to see the benefits of it. Yeah. It's one of those things, either you're into it or you're not, you know, like I just, I, I tend to run, unless I'm referencing between two window, windows, I tend to be full screen, or not full screen, but full full size, and I just all tab between everything for the most part. It just depends what I'm doing. Yeah. I also do that a lot, but, like, you know, I still have to set up for certain, depending on what I'm doing, I have, like, a setup for, like, yeah. one win, one monitor has, like, a full screen thing or not, you know, maximize, and the, others, the other monitor has, like, tools or things I need to reference for something like that. Yeah. Like it's, it's, um, I, so that, that kind of thing is useful in general. And then you add the ability to like have certain tiling on certain workspaces for a different purpose. So you can switch back and forth with different purposes like that. That's what I like it for. So, um, the idea of having the, like the ability to do the snapshotting of the, of the shuffler stuff in it would be awesome. Yeah, exactly. Well, one of the featured highlights in the release notes that Ryan didn't read are the default budgie applets. So <laughs> you, you have a couple applets in there by default, uh, mm-hmm. quick note, drop by and showtime. So yes. can you just like talk about each one of these and let us know why they're there? Uh, well, a lot of it was to solve some of the, um, not issues, but just sort of feedback we've had on certain things. So there were a few people that had apparently had asked for like a quick note. It's kind of like a sticky pad. Um, it seemed to sort of fit in with what we had going on. Like it's one of those things that either it's part of your workflow or it's not. And there was uh, enough OSs and people like to have a quick note thing. So it was something that came up. One of the biggest things that we had for feedback on it initially was there was no way to sync. So uh, we added the feature to allow you to select a sort of like the location of it. Cause then you could just leverage whatever sort of same tools you use in the background. Uh, with the drop-by stuff, uh, that's just, as you may, may know, um, 
USB sticks when they're inserted, they pop up. It just gives you a quick little tool item where you can open the USB stick uh, location itself. Uh, but it also gives you the option to copy uh, the contents of the USB stick over onto your local drive. Like there's a little uh, copy button. And then, you know, the traditional eject your USB stick. Right. Know? So it's just more of a convenience factor there. Um, and then Showtime is, you know, kind of a la conky type desktop uh, information, you know, but specifically to, you know, date and time. And uh, it just sort of sticks there. So um, not nothing above and beyond that sort of uh, desktop uh, time is planned at the moment, but it was something that people seem to want. So there it is. And they're all about convenience, really. If you look at those three, they're just convenience. It's like quick to add a note, yeah. quick to kind of deal with your USB stick and quick glance for your time, depending on your, I guess, your <laughs> workflow, whether you're looking at your desktop very much or not, though, but yeah, preference. That's what I'm really liking. When you take a lot of these features and you add them together, you can see that this is geared to having those options out there for, you know, extreme productivity. The the features people look at for productivity and being able to manipulate their desktop the way they need it to fit their workflow. And another feature that does that that were in the release notes that I did read. <laughs> it's not a manual. Release notes are fair. Oh, okay, game. I'm sorry. No, I got no, confused. No. Yeah, uh, was the hot corners, and so it's not just you know a hot corner that you can set what you want happens there. It's the custom actions for all four corners of your screen that you can set independently to do various things. And again, it just seems like. Is, is this something the community is asking for and you guys are answering or you guys are just wanting these features yourself when you're looking at it? Because when you tie all this in together, it's really a nice suite of things you guys have put together for this workflow. So some of it is community driven. Some of it is our own team because the one thing on our team is we have a bunch of guys that actually use multiple operating systems. So some of it is, you know, inspiration from elsewhere it's mm-hmm. kind of you know maybe one of us used something else in the past and we had a particular workflow that we liked and this is kind of scratching that itch and I, if i remember correctly that's where uh, hot corners actually came out of was just it was part of one of the team members workflow it was something that got implemented and it's and and but then usually it follows up and you have great feedback from the community which is kind of nice because then you know you're going in the right direction yeah, yeah. Well, my feedback is I love hot corners, but I only really use one because I tend to go over those hot corners too often and then I mess myself up. (laughs) So I had originally like a show desktop of one of the corners and I kept, you know, all my windows would minimize if I just randomly hit it for no apparent reason. So, uh, but I do, uh, I got your help actually, Dustin, to get the menu to pop up kind of like uh, a gnome activities where when you go up to the top left, it pulls up the menu. So I like that. I thought yeah. of that one works pretty good for that one too. So yeah. Rocco, if we ever get access to your machine, we know how to troll you. Now we're just going to put a <laughs> shutdown command in every hot corner. <laughs> just keep showing. I won't get any, I won't get anything yeah. done. Dude. And with Ryan, we'll just have it pop up manuals and stuff. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. What do I do with this? So that brings us to the, why it's really important to read release notes because I've never been one um, to be innovative. So I wouldn't have even dreamed that you guys had now built into 
um, budgie, this rotation lock. Because a lot, of, a lot of laptops nowadays are coming with the two-in-one screens. You can just fold the keyboard all the way back and, and use it like a tablet. So, again, it's just a typical question for me. Was, something, was that something that you guys developed, or did you just see a lack of it in Linux in general? Uh, to be honest, that one, I'm not familiar how that one came in. So there's this other aspect where if you look at uh, applets as a whole, there's uh, a bunch that independent developers are writing as well. So I know that we do reach out to indie developers a lot to work with them to maybe package them up in there or use them. Or sometimes it's the other way around. They may reach out to us or vice versa. So some of these applets, and I'm not always privy to all these conversations, so I may not always have the answers how they exactly came in. But if I remember correctly, I believe this one actually came in from out in the community somewhere. Now, whether it was a solicitation or an offer, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. So now, is, is this something you guys are focusing on, though, as a team to have preparation for these more mobile platforms where they're kind of combining the laptops and the tablets into a single system. No, we're too small of a team. Like we couldn't even start to look at a mobile, anything really. Um, you know, sometimes we're just the whole team's working on, you know, testing a QA after an ISO release. So I don't think we're going towards mobile yet. So. So it's just um, one of those features that kind of get added in as the yeah. community requests it. and Exactly. That, that's really our, our cycle is it's one of two things. Either one of our developers is scratching an itch or it's community driven or it's just even a question of looking at what's going on in the budget ecosystem, like as far as the independent developers. And that's kind of our three inroads in, in, into things. And then it just becomes an evaluation of what we think might fit. And, and again, it's a lot of gut. Uh, reaction and maybe as our community grows maybe we'll have more opinionated feedback but right now it's worked fairly well for us so um that's we're going to keep going with that sort of method right now awesome so that's, that's actually interesting, interesting you bring up the indie developers as uh, i'm just curious how like there's a lot of these i've noticed the indie developer applets like the the budget calendar the global menu the pixel saver and the rotation lock apparently um but I'm just curious how how do they do the people become indie developers for like Ubuntu Budgie? Do they like how do they submit their work and like how much involvement does the Ubuntu Budgie team have with these developers? While they start to ramp up, is that what you're asking, or just in general? So yeah, well, like just how how does someone become a part of like being an indie developer for these applets? Like how do they join that that part instead of it instead of necessarily becoming like a team member of the Ubuntu team, Ubuntu Budgie oh. team? Like yeah. how do they become those? They're just off on their own. Like they just basically had a repo and we just look around for what budgie applets are out there. Like they, they, oh, interesting. yeah. Like it's not that they decided like it's not an official capacity or anything with us. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's an independent developer who I'm assuming uses budgie probably had their own itch to scratch, wrote something. There's, you know, something sitting nice. on GitHub and then you just either we approach them or they approach us or just. So it's a, it's a, so it's happened where people just made something they wanted and then they shared it. And then the Bunty Budget team is like, oh, we like that. We're, we want to talk to you about it. Yeah, for sure. That is really, it's really cool. Really that simple. So, uh, yeah, the, the indie developers aren't something that we drive or, or push or organize in any capacity. It's just they're literally independent developers that probably scratched their own itch. And if it's something that looks useful or, or refined enough, you know, um, we'll consider bringing it in. Very nice. 
Well, one of the major features of the 1804 releases for everybody was the minimal install. And Mm -hmm. you wrote a blog post Mm -hmm. about when minimal feels too minimal. So let's talk about the minimal install and what you guys have done with it as far as removing programs or backend things. Sure. So our minimal install is literally uh, the minimal thing to run the budgie desktop plus a browser and no specific configuration. So it's a lot of just sort of upstream as it comes. Uh, so it's pretty much as minimal as you can get. And we've had some good feedback that people like that approach. Um, but so for example, for myself, it was a little too minimal in my opinion. You know, there's certain things like, uh, um, I just wanted the configuration. I wanted that out of the box sort of Ubuntu budgie experience with the configuration because it's what I was used to looking at when I opened it up after a fresh install. So there's kind of this context of, as I mentioned in the article, how minimal is too minimal and it's different for everyone. So that was part of the, the, the purpose of that blog post was here's the three packages that you need to install to get it to at least have the look and feel right now going forward. Will it stay this way? I, I don't know yet. I mean, obviously, with uh, 1804 being released and things like that, um, I believe an SRU would have to be done if we were going to change it. But that's why I just wanted to make that information available, at least on the blog post, on how to get it to kind of that middle ground. Because I don't think any one minimal installation is going to fit everybody. You know, like everybody has their own definition of what's minimal. Right. Well, to put the point further out there if you do the minimal install the desktop will look different than if you yes. do the regular install because of the customizations that you guys have done with the desktop mm-hmm. and as far as an example of what might be left out uh, i was trying to open a terminal in the file manager and mm-hmm. when you right click and you hit open a terminal that was missing so yeah i actually had to install uh, python dash nautilus i think it was in order yeah. for that feature to come back. So there is a big difference between the minimal install and the regular install. Right. And, and that's something probably that we should take away for discussion in our, in our team meetings. Cause I'm more of the mind. And, and again, this is my opinion, not necessarily the teams that the minimal install should be the minimal Ubuntu budgie experience with just minimal programs stripped out. Like not, I agree with that completely. And things like that. Like, you need a screensaver, the screensaver utility should be there. It shouldn't be stripped out, right? So right. Um, like that's base system function. So um, maybe for 1810, maybe we'll go back the other way. It's a discussion that we need to have. That was something that was sort of sparked in the uh, with that blog post. And that's why I wrote it is um, I'm hoping to get some feedback from people as to what they would expect with a minimal install, you know, like yeah. whether it truly is a bare bones system or whether it's a minimum to what that flavor offers, you know? Well, since you're asking, I'll go ahead and tell you mine. Uh, (laughs) I think that the minimal install should be the, whatever the minimal that still keeps it as Ubuntu budgie. Cause I don't think that budgie on top of Ubuntu is necessarily what Ubuntu budgie is. So I agree with you completely. Like it should be more of like just removing apps that are not necessary for everyone Mm -hmm. or like the full install, like that, like that, that concludes, but keeping all the stuff that makes Ubuntu budgie what it is for sure. For once, Michael's right. <laughs> Michael's <laughs> always right. Oh yeah. Well, um, I mean, I, I, I didn't say it. That's 
<laughs> but so yeah. let me ask you one other question about that, just opinion-based. Um, so, for example, one of the things, I can't remember who brought it up, but there was the context of maybe not even having a browser installed by default because you could do that from the browser ballot from the welcome screen. I think that's too much. I think the browser yeah. is necessary because it is like at this point, the, mo- the the modern computing requires a browser in some yep. in some case. So I think that I think that'd be a little too far. I mean, let's just have it so it boots into a terminal only, <laughs> and it's got ASCII text that just says "Budgie" at the top, and that's your that's two bare bones. <laughs> we need this stuff. It just has it just has the wallpaper of the Budgie desktop logo. Yeah, and that's that's it. all it is. <laughs> Yeah, I think it went. I think it's a little too minimal. I think it's interesting, right. though, the take that that your team had on what minimal was, but it just felt way, way stripped down, right. and I I felt like almost I'm not in Ubuntu Budgie anymore. Right. That's right. kind of what it felt like. I think I it'd be interesting to have if you could do all three. That would be interesting. Yeah, uh, but if there's only two options, I would say for the the keep it still as still be Ubuntu budgie, just remove apps and stuff. So the question, Dustin, is that is the ubiquity installer? Are you able to modify that to allow a third option, or is that just a a set thing by Ubuntu? Well, <clears throat> I mean, sure, we could contribute to the project upstream and write something for a third uh, option, but that's something that would probably happen further up. You know, right. uh, it depends also like whether we have the talent on the team to actually do those coding changes, you know, yep. <clears throat> and also they'd have to accept it anyway to ubiquity. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, unless you're going to outright like fork it and go on your own, which is not what we want to do at all. Mm. Uh, we yeah. try to avoid forking or maintaining uh, as much as possible, you know, and yeah. that's just like a time. So. So that makes sense. Um, so also speaking of not potentially not maintaining something, <laughs> you talked about earlier, uh, you talked about the 32-bit ISO and the modern computing aspects, and there's been plans that Ubuntu Budgie has decided to not include a 32-bit ISO for the 1810 release. Correct. And it seems like the Ubuntu Budgie and Ubuntu Mate were like the first ones to announce it there, and it seems like most of the distri- most of the flavors are going along that same path. So could you tell us about like what made you they made the team, the bunch of budget team to decide to drop the 32 bit ISOs? Well, honestly, uh, the testing feedback, getting anyone to test 32 bit ISOs was impossible. There's a checklist that you go through to sort of sign off on these ISOs before they get released. And no one was doing any checklist on 32 bit except for our own team members out of necessity. Interesting. So, yeah. Even that is not that great because, well, where are we running 32-bit? We're running 32-bit in VMs because we're not running 32-bit hardware, you know, or we don't have it. So then yeah. that leads you to believe, like, what's the quality of the testing on that ISO? Well, it's not as great as 64-bit, that's for sure. So we're sitting here spending these resources to sort of work with this when it doesn't appear like there's any sort of reason to for us. And when we announced it, maybe it hasn't gotten out into the community enough yet, but there's really been zero feedback or anyone really saying, oh, no, the 32-bit's gone, like, at all. So I mean, I'm actually uh, for the decision, and I I think that yeah. all the flavors should do it because it, it makes sense because 32-bit is, is so dated now that yeah. even, like, the old hardware, you can still say that Linux runs on old hardware and not count 32-bit as being part of that old hardware because it is, it's been around, 64-bit has been around for so long. Like, I have all these extra laptops, and 
two of them are 12 years old and are absolutely like just not usable, but they're 64 bit. So <laughs> right. like it's, it's, it's at a point where it's kind of ridiculous that people can like, you know, insist that something that dated should continue. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the news. Yeah. There's, there's just no reason for us to continue on. And if there is, no one's pointed it out to us. So, mm-hmm. um, so with all of the great features that you did release, in 1804 um did you run out of time and were there any features that you really thought i oh, wish we'd, we wish we'd been able to get that out we'll have to wait to 1810 now um the the certain things that we identified that we would have liked to do were not restricted so much on time they were restricted more on availability of like say hardware like so for 1810 um, we're hoping to be able to approach some of that a little bit more. Uh, we've gotten enough Patreon support now where hopefully we can get some devices for testing. So nice. uh, multi-monitor support needs to be incre- increased. We would like to look at H, uh, high DPI in more detail, see what we can do there, um, because no one on the team had any high DPI until I just got my current laptop like three days ago. So mm. it was kind of, uh, that's almost why like when I booted into it and I saw it scaled appropriately, I was like, oh, Okay. It does work. We thought we are, (laughs) you know, and and again, that's, you know, inheritance from upstream projects. So, but we look at it and see what we can do to assist help or, or increase um, the experience for people. So for example, one of the things I'm considering doing for 1810, providing I can fit it in there is I would like to write a little check program that if the person wants to do it this way, that you can set same defaults for scaling up things like your fonts and the content here windows instead of necessarily scaling the entire interface. So for example, that's how I run it. So my window Chrome is really small, which I don't mind because I don't use it really. I keyboard shortcut it out. Um, and I like that experience. It keeps everything kind of nice and extra screen real estate. Maybe other people want to do that. So that's an example of something that maybe we could do better is just out of the box, have welcome, like a one click thing that's going to set your defaults with maybe a little bit of documentation on how you could tweak those defaults. Yeah. You know? so that, that's where we would like to see it. So I guess for 1804, it would have been really nice to have those sort of things. Like I know, for example, Martin did a ton of amazing high DPI work. It would have been awesome to have that in our LTS, but we couldn't, didn't, and you know, weren't in the position to do it. So that's where I'd like to see some of the things come up in the next one. But it was more of a, just, we didn't have the mechanisms to do it. So we didn't do it. Zeb, you have a high DPI monitor. How did it work out for you? Well, we were talking about that when, when we, we went down for a short while. Um, and I, from, from what Dustin was saying, that when he booted in, he got 200% zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, I boot in and it just went to the perfect desktop with a nice small mouse cursor <laughs> And everything apportioned nicely. So I'm just thinking, I've just got a 4K screen, but because it's so large, it doesn't need any high DPI capabilities. Because um, there's a big difference when you're looking at something on a 43-inch screen and you are on a 15-inch screen. Mm-hmm. So although yeah. I've got 4K, it doesn't do any automatic scaling, which for me is great because I always take it back to 100% anyway. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. But I mean, that's, that's exactly what I was happy about was the fact that it, it wanted it reacted appropriately for you. And for me on my small 13 inch high DPI screen, it acted appropriately there by doing the scaling. So mm-hmm. that, that's, uh, so that's awesome that that's happening out of the box. And I'm glad you had that experience. 
Well, you said mentioned sane defaults, and that's what mm-hmm. to me Budgie is noted for is mm-hmm. having sane defaults. And one of the new defaults is the uh, new theme that you mentioned, which was one of your favorite features. And I have I have to say that this theme is absolutely awesome. Both variants of it. I mean, there's a dark and there's a light version of it. And I think it combines the best thing from Arc and just highlights it into a great theme. So where did you come up with this theme and who was contributing to it? Uh, that was primarily uh, David and Nicola. They, it was sort of their baby that they went through. So I myself wasn't involved in it. They just felt like it was time for a refresh and that's sort of, you know, nice new skin for 1804, something different, kind of hopefully uh, attract, uh, well, not attract, but keep the people that try it out when they come into an LTS because that's sort of one of the, that's probably the base factor for us with the LTS was the other LTS people jumping over after Unity and all that other stuff. So we had an influx um, to a degree and we just wanted to make sure that, you know, it looked fresh. It was good. As we mentioned, same defaults and that it might be a great first experience that if someone's just trying it out with an ISO that they might actually keep that ISO installed or even hopefully go past the live, live environment. (laughs) So you mentioned now that when you log into budget, you don't have to change anything. So is this your new favorite theme or? Yeah. It's what I run since 1804, even when I was doing in the alphas. It's, I just don't change my theme anymore. So, well, the, the arc mean, theme was great. Okay. It was a mm-hmm. great theme, but it, it kind of got overused by a lot of different people, a lot mm-hmm. of different distros. And this is a great take on it. So I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's just different enough to kind of satisfy that itch of just looking at something new. I mean, graphics aren't necessarily important to everyone, but it's also one of those sort of subconscious things. <laughs> I don't understand that. <laughs> Not everyone, but, uh, it's All one pixels of- don't bother some. What? <laughs> All right. So I want to ask you if uh, this at the end of the year, Canadian Santa Claus comes and visits you and drops off a brand new computer. What are some of the first programs you install on a brand new build? So you got Budgie set up. Obviously, you install Ubuntu Budgie. But what are some of the first programs you install? Uh, Git and Restic are my two first ones because I'm going to have to get my data back. <laughs> and that's how I get all my dot config and, and restore everything. Usually a sync, uh, like C file is what I'm using these days. Um, those are usually the first ones. And, and then it's just a question of restoring some of my baseline, uh, data, like my GPG keys and SSH keys and stuff so that I can get access and continue to pull everything back outside of that. I mean, it's a, it's a text editor. It's, um, what text editor do you like? Uh, I use VS code. Um, maybe it's Microsoft, but you know, it works it's very pretty well. popular. Yeah. Isn't it Sean Davis? That's what he uses. Yeah, that's what he said too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Like I haven't found a better sort of balance between like, uh, just a simple text editor and like going up to something like an IDE and it's super extensible and yeah, I know it's an electron app, but it's probably the best electron app that I've ever used. Like, Every, anyone who's doing an Electron app should look at that team for reference because it doesn't feel like an Electron app to me at all. Yeah, when Sean mentioned it, I downloaded it, and then I put some of the code I was working on in it, and I was like, gosh, <laughs> it's good. And I was so mad. It was like, this is actually really good. <clears throat> well, the other thing is, too, and one of the reasons I like it, too, is because I tend to nuke and pave my systems fairly frequently, but... It, there's one plugin called Settings Sync, and it stores it in a private uh, gist on GitHub. 
So you install that and it sucks down all your extensions, all your configuration, everything. Wow. Okay. That's cool. And then, so what I do is like on my work machine, my home machine, my desktop, my laptop, they all have identical configuration and it just updates and I'm happy. I don't have to install my plugins. I don't have to remember, Oh, I installed one here and now I got to install one there. I just don't care. They just show up and it's awesome. I've I've always been a sublime fan and there is the same, the, all the benefits you've mentioned are just me going like, yep, still keeping sublime. And then you say the settings thing and I'm like, Sublime doesn't have that. <laughs> it's it's awesome. It um yeah, I mean Sublime's great. I liked it too. Uh I think one of the reasons I came over to VS Code was a lot of the plugins were a little more modern and it was a little more clear as to which plugins to use. Whereas I found in Sublime it's like there's like oh, yeah. a thousand plugins that do the same thing and I don't know which one is actually better and it's There's this, no rating system. It's just like you, you'd, you'd hope that the amount of yeah. people using it is a reference to whether you should or not. And then, and then all, then it just creates like a popularity contest without actual ratings or anything. Yeah. yeah. I, I looked, I was looking for markdown things and I was like, Oh, there's 40. Okay. Yes. I don't, I'm just going to have to just mess around <laughs> and figure it out. Exactly. And that was honestly, that's probably the biggest reason I left sublime was like I was more than willing to pay for it. I had zero problems with the editor. It's a really slick editor. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just there was a couple little tick boxes over in this other one that just I went there and every once in a while I tried to go somewhere else and I just I always come back within probably 15 minutes. So well, I'm good. <laughs> so um, going back to the, 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 the like default choices that been that bunch of, a bunch of budget has, one of the things I was interested in is that you, know, you said earlier that there's potential to switch from Chromium to Firefox, but mm-hmm. do you know why that Chromium was chosen in the first place? Considering like most just like Firefox is the default for like 90% of the Linux community. Not, not in the uh, sense of like the users, but in the sense of like the, the distros themselves. Uh, in our case, it was feedback. Um, Firefox <laughs> before the quantum stuff. I mean, let's face it, it had some speed issues and things like that. And it just seemed to be where people were interested in being with us, you know? Okay. So granted, uh, our community is substantially smaller than a lot of the other flavors. So maybe that view will change as the user base changes. Like that's already something that we're seeing in our poll for the browser. There's way more interest in Firefox again. And I, I personally attribute that to the quantum stuff. I mean, that's what's brought me back to looking at it again. Yeah, and it time. being the best browser ever. Yeah, yeah that too, huh? <laughs> so what do you use, Dustin? Do you use Firefox or Chromium? I use a couple of them, to be honest. Like I actually have, it depends what I'm doing because there's certain uh, extensions that I need to use for work, which are Chrome only. And mm-hmm. then there's, uh, Firefox. Like and I we're back in that day. So bad. But there's like two extensions that just don't have feature parity on Linux with specific between Chrome and uh, Firefox. And it kills a certain workflow, but I have it on my machine. I like it. I try to use it like the container stuff in Firefox is awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, And it's fast again. Like there's almost there for me. It's like really close. And then I always, then sometimes I'll be like, okay, well, I don't want to run Chrome. Firefox isn't quite fitting it. So I'm like, okay, Vivaldi, I go over there and then their sync is buggy as heck. And then that kills me on it there. So I'm, I'm kind of in this weird limbo where I have like five browsers on my desktop and I use them all just hoping that one of them one day is just going to go there. That's what. <laughs> yeah. 
It's kind of funny because I'm, I'm a diehard Firefox fan, but yeah. I also have like three or four other browsers installed because for various different reasons. But still, yeah. Firefox is, is the best. It, it, it used to be that you had to use a specific browser just to get a web page to render properly. Yeah. Like you have to use a specific browser just to get an application to work properly. It's like, yeah, it's kind of funny because it's like the when you said that the, the extension only worked for Chrome, it's like, oh, I remember those days of Internet Explorer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we keep going through this iterative loop of the same thing, but we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot, a lot of time talking about the new features that you've brought into Ubuntu Budgie. But mm-hmm. one of the things that, that always carries on 365 days all year round is fixing your bugs mm-hmm. and fixing the known issues. Now, there's a long list that we could go through here, but I don't want to bore the users because <laughs> most of them won't necessarily mean anything. But for right. you and the development team, what were some of the issues that you fixed that you thought, yes, Got it. Um, so this is the one part that I'm not like super involved in because I'm not doing the bug fixes, but I know that um, the keyboard shortcuts for things like print screen that were just missing, like base functionality. Like to me, that's like that. That's one of those things that was that's kind of huge that shouldn't have been huge. You, yeah. know, you know what I mean? Like that's that's just you know, like everyone needs a print screen, like that should work. It's more like spit and polish, really. Like I, like I said, I haven't done a lot of the bug stuff, so I can't talk about this a a huge amount, but it, to me, it's always back to spit and polish and anything that covers that, you know. Yeah. But anytime you're going to have a a polished desktop, you have to have the bugs ironed out. And uh, we try to highlight on Destination Linux, the fact that, you know, the bug reports, fixing them and and Mm -hmm. getting all this back end stuff fixed is is kind of boring to a regular user, but it's necessary in order for you to download this 1804 ISO and have a good working desktop. And people don't Mm -hmm. like they don't talk about it much, but it needs to be shown out there that this stuff is important. Yeah, and the joke about bug reporting, people don't do it, and then you know, ask you, did you submit a bug? And like, they, it's it's a joke, but it, it is a very important thing that a lot of people skip. And I, I even had a conversation with someone yesterday, and they were describing a bug with something, and they said, "Well, it's probably really important." So I bet hundreds of people have already submitted things. They don't need me to annoy them about it. And like, and I go and look, and it's like three people have said something about it. It's like, see, this is why people shouldn't have that assumption. <laughs> Like everybody has that assumption. No one submits a bug report. (laughs) Well, it's so, okay, here's, here's a prime example. So one of the bugs that I personally hit in 1804 was that at times certain keyboard shortcuts would stop functioning, like just out of the blue, like, no, I haven't been able to nail down the pattern, but so I looked upstream, there's no bug report. So I filed them with both with GNOME in case, because I thought it might've been like um, the, the daemon. Uh, and then there's also in the Ubuntu line. So I filed bugs in both. I haven't been able to narrow it down. Like, so I guess a lot of the bug reports that we have actually aren't specific to the apps that we maintain. So we try to herald them and get them into the upstream bug trackers so that hopefully at least they can be identified and work towards. So I, if I, I try to triage it the best I can when I, at least the ones that I've been working on. And that's sort of how we try to contribute it upstream because our team has a very specific talent set and it's some of that doesn't work. Like we don't have the talent to go and actually write the bug patch or the bug fix because we're not knowledgeable enough of what's happening there. It'd be great if we could, 
but you know, like for example, we may have a team member, like for example, Jacob, who is doing a lot of the applets, he's a Python guy and, and a lot of his applets are written in Python. So, I mean, if whatever app you're trying to fix is like, you know, C++ and you don't know it, like it's really tough to get in there. So at least we're trying to triage and maybe that's a, a skill set that we need to develop and try to groom on our own team. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's a good thing to have in the sense of like the triaging. If you can help people find where they need to get it fixed, that's that's yeah. important too. Because I mean that that's one of the things that a lot of projects don't take into consideration. That is like, oh, it's not our thing. Upstream closed. Yeah, so like no, trying no, no. to triage it is also good. Now, usually, like uh, for example, one thing like I see David do a lot is like if it's an upstream Ubuntu bug, like he'll actually list out the commands to file the bug, you know, through the automated systems, and you know, it pops it open. You know, there's a certain amount of heralding, and I mean, like anyone, we could probably do better, you know, like that's for sure. But it's definitely not the type of situation of just close the bug. It's more like we reference to the upstream provider. Here's where you go. Here's what you want to do. Nice. Try to give as much detail as possible. You know, it's not just a close it and it's gone off, gone off a GitHub into the closed items. It's, yeah. it's still, I, I, I like that. I think everybody should do that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because not everyone understands, like even, even for the ones that I've done, <clears throat> certain aspects are, can be intimidating if you don't know that section of the system, right? Like I, I come from a historical systems administrator, desktop user. I don't know the underpinnings of Linux is good anywhere near as good as a lot of people. So when you're trying to get in there and sort of help out and you're kind of like, ah, I'm sort of an idiot in this area. You know, some people get that whole imposter syndrome or they just get overwhelmed or whatever. So the, the, the more you can help someone usher in, in that direction, the better off you're going to be, even if you're getting the base details. So you talked about the size of the Ubuntu budgie team a couple of times mm-hmm. saying it's a small team. How many developers are we talking about here when we talk small team? Uh, so no full-time developers. It's all volunteer. Um, a lot of the development is driven by probably two or three people. Um, and then there's other aspects of the team, like some are, you know, like packaging, some community engagement. A lot of us kind of do all of it. Like, so for example, I spend a lot of my time or try to more in the upstream Ubuntu, uh, community, like trying to get involved in the snap crafter stuff because that benefits us with our snap packages, um, I've been trying to work with uh, Simon Quigley a little bit on some of the other packages, nice. stuff, but I'm trying to get myself up to speed there to have that knowledge set to do it more. Um, and then, for example, even the Ubuntu flavors are starting to try to work together a lot more. Like there's been a new IRC channel, which is a little more casual, but we're in there. There's now a new um, category on the Ubuntu Community Hub that's more for the official flavor stuff. So we're all trying to work together. I tend to engage more in that stuff or try to be there more so than my other team members. Um, but then there's other people that are specific, you know, maybe to the website, trying to broker um, expansions of, you know, um, like marketing initiatives and things like that. But we're, I would say people that are active daily, there's like four or five. Well, you know, that's interesting. So it's, it's, it's pretty small, but so part of that too, is like, if you look at what's gone on with like, you know, void and all those guys too, that's been, one of our sort of back end 1810 goals is, you know, under the bus type scenarios is we're going to start breaking that out just because, you know, that's something that hit the news here. And we just sort of realized like, all right, we're not in a great position to sort of 
you know, deal with that. So we're going to start breaking out all the roles and assigning ownership. I love the idea that all the teams and flavors are starting to come together and you're not the first one to mention that. So it's obviously clearly really happening and the stuff is starting to work. And that, that to me is going to really help because you have all of these amazing flavors and all everybody's been working in their own direction. And now with you guys coming together, a lot more can get done with all of that talent. Now you don't have a team of just five. You've got a team of, you know, this additional team has six people and this one has seven. And now you guys are all coming together, working on similar paths. And I think that's going to be a huge uh, help for getting bug fixes in, adding features and getting ideas from what other right. folks would do. Well, well, even like with Simon's uh, proposed change in the way the testing happens, like there was an instance the other day where I was in IRC they were doing some testing. I couldn't get to a computer and I was concerned about something with one of my ISOs and one of the other flavor guys jumped in, spun up. He's like, nope, it's good. You know, oh, like wow. I, just couldn't, I was on like IRC with my phone going like, oh no, we're doing this test. Uh, I think this is broken. I'm not sure. He's like, hold on. Comes back like 15 minutes later. Nope, you're good. I was like, oh, thank God. That's great. <laughs> so, you know, the, the coordinated testing's, you know, hopefully helping and, and we'll see where it goes. I mean, it's pretty new, but it's, it's good. I just like the communication. Yeah. Well, communication yeah. is key and you're also involving the community with that as well. Like on your website, you have an opportunities page where yeah. it's kind of unique where you put up basically a bug about the, or not a bug, but a situation for the gnome right. screensaver. And mm-hmm. you're saying, Hey, can anybody fix this? And I think that's an awesome thing. So what is that about? Like, is that something that just anybody can jump in and help out with? Absolutely. That's, that's actually how I ended up on the team was by going to that page was, you know, we listed out a bunch of, or sorry, they listed out a bunch of things that they needed help with. And so I looked at it and I reached out to them and I was just like, Hey, I think this is where I can help, but I'm pretty new at this whole thing. Here's why I'm doing it. Here's what I'm looking to do. You know, if you're willing to help me along, then hopefully I can get there and be a, a, a useful member. And that's just where it started was exactly that page. In fact, I had actually tried to even do the same thing with Mate, but they didn't have one up yet. So, like, I was kind of trying to figure out where I was going to go, you know, right. just just knew I wanted to contribute. I, you know, like it's that was more my goal was the contribution rather than what I was contributing to. Yep, I agree. There's so much stuff to be done that between that page, GitHub, most times if people reach out with ideas, like I mentioned earlier, there's two people, two separate people that reached out to us about the KDE Connect type stuff for Budgie. And so now what we've done is we've brokered those two people together to work together on it instead of two separate ones. And our hope is that if we can do this right to hopefully work upstream as well so that maybe... Uh, Solus could take advantage of this and, and stuff like that. We got to see what that looks like. Uh, it's still very, very, very early days on that, but that's just like one of the things. Like we need to play better with Solus. We need to contribute more. And if this is one way that we can do it, then hopefully it works out. And you know, we're just trying to herald and get these guys on because our idea is is that we're not going to develop this connector. It's you know they they were interested. We're just sort of pointing them in the right direction, and we'll take we'll take it in uh, once it gets to that point. So if you guys got something you want to write, hey, just send it in. Hey, we could yeah. send our script, Rocco. We could send it in. <laughs> there's a, there's that, that GNOME shell extension. It's kind of like this. I think if, if they did something like that where they made a budgie applet that sat and that connected to the KDE Connect um, Android app, 
that would yeah. be a fantastic solution. Yeah. I, I know they're looking at a few different things like the mConnect one because mConnect, for example, uses just Dbus. Like it's abstracted from all the GTK and the uh, uh, QT stuff. So I know that's one of the ones they're considering simply because it's at that lower level. Like it re, because my understanding is KDE connects more of like a framework API. Yeah, it's more of uh, it's a framework thing. They don't they don't really yeah. rely on the KDE stack that much. It's just made by the KDE project. Yeah, exactly. So there there's a bunch of different they, they no one's decided on any direction, but that's one thing we're just looking at to abstract out as much as possible and have like kind of a nice solid little launch pad or jumping ground to kind of get going. Nice. Well, speaking of collaboration, is there any um, is there any of the work that's being that's being done by IKEA and the Solus team for the Steam Linux integration performance stuff? Stuff is that even is there is that on the the roadmap for Ubuntu Mudgy? So the Steam integration stuff, uh, my understanding is it's very Solus specific. Where I could see us taking advantage of it is the work that IKEA is doing in the Snap version. Um, and from what I've heard is the dev version of steam has some sort of bug that uh, is kind of i've heard that there's not a lot of work going in there anymore in fact we pulled steam from our welcome screen because of it i'd have to mm-hmm. go get more details if you actually wanted uh, I, I just found out about that the other day because i went to install steam and it wasn't there anymore <laughs> <laughs> so talking about steam you are a gamer me and you and you've gamed with other people on the show as well but me and you did this stint with playing Rust, and we're not yeah. going to tell people what happened with that. Um, Dustin was spinning up our own servers. All of this stuff was happening. Uh, but you play other guests like Popey also are playing Rust. So I guess the question here is what games are you playing now that our Rust server got hacked and we aren't playing Rust anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, now. Uh, I'm actually just been pretty much sticking at CSGO. It's because the, the biggest reason is is if I play, I can't always get down to my desktop. Uh, sometimes I'm on a laptop and it just runs well on the hardware I have, you know, like I have yeah. some other games and stuff, but I just end up not going into there. And I, and to be honest, I have such a limited amount of time to play that. Yeah. You know, I'd rather get on with a game where I know a couple people are actually playing it and just hang out and go do that rather than uh, jump around on other ones. Cause I have so many other things that I'm like, sort of working on and trying to learn and balance. CSGO is a great one because if you learn that, it's a competitive game. A lot of people have it, like you said. You can play with lots of different people on it, almost jump in immediately. Um, have you gotten any good on it yet? Oh, no. no, no. <laughs> we should definitely play then. I'm going to have to try it. <laughs> Mr. Hustler. Yeah, the hustler over here. So, uh, <laughs> Dustin, so Martin Wimpress, who shall now be referred to as the right. podcaster that shall not be named. I don't want his name mentioned on this show. <laughs> <laughs> He's challenged Ryan to a game of ballistic overkill and you played with Ryan with CSGO. So you know how good he is. Mm-hmm. Like what are his chances of winning? Well, to be honest, I don't know how good Martin is. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that automatically means Ryan. Yeah. Right. Of course. Whatever. <laughs> You're going down, Martin. You're going down. Very diplomatic. <laughs> yes. So speaking of like you're saying you your gaming is more of like a whatever you have time for. So if you had like five, ten minutes, that would be a good time, like good type of game to use, right? So have you heard of Rocket League? Oh gosh, yes, here we go. 
<laughs> it's a fantastic game. You can just spend five, ten minutes, jump into a game, play it, leave. It's yep. Good. You can't. Yep, it's a great. You know, and if you want to, you could also spend like three or four hours. It's it's a or a hundred, hours. <laughs> I seem to remember my view on this was that I was going to start playing Rocket League when Rocco started playing Rust. So wow, yeah, that's not going to happen. I mean, still out there. <laughs> you don't know the fun of getting your server hacked after you've spent days building stuff, Rocco. It is that is amazing. sounds so great that you know you could spend days and days and days, and then all of a sudden, poof, it's gone. Most <laughs> joyful thing is just things are just destroyed. Just asking English Bob, he knows. Then <laughs> you get that fine satisfaction of whacking on a tree with a rock again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> great. Sorry. All right, back to serious so, stuff here. Yeah, serious stuff. Yeah. Um, so with a successful launch of 1804, um, 1810 is development's underway. So what are the, some of the goals that Ubuntu Tech Budgie has for 1810? Uh, so they're not like 100% firm yet, but we're just, we, for example, we had a meeting this morning. We're starting to suss them out. But as I mentioned earlier, a lot of it has to do with a multi-monitor is where, and high DPI is where we would like to spend some time. Nice. Um Part of it is also the evaluation of sort of where the Snap ecosystem is going. Maybe if something, uh, other aspects get switched over to Snap first sort of uh, deployments with us in our seeds. Um, you know, now that uh, I believe it was this week, some of the theming uh, changes landed. So that might uh, sort of take some of the rough edges off that people perceive with Snaps based on the theme aspects. But I believe... <laughs> Um, if I remember correctly, I believe Ubuntu proper has uh, applied these theming changes, I think, to was calculator and um, a couple other ones. So it's going to yeah. we're just going to watch that space and kind of see whether we can take more of an aggressive approach with that, if it makes sense to. Because, I mean, it's just when we have things seeded in a snap, it's insanely easy to update. You're not... Yeah don't have to adhere to the freeze timeframes with each release and things like that. That's why we push pretty hard to have our welcome in snap. So that's another one. We're going to continue to develop against the applets we have. I think shuffler is probably going to get some more updates. Yeah. Uh, we have a, we have a new weather applet that's in the works right now that uh, Jacob's developing and, and David are. Um, so we'll continue to evaluate that space. We've got a couple other themes that we're looking at adding in already um, we're, we're hoping to entice some other people to come in and, and become a little more in the official capacity and help out so that maybe we could push harder on some of those initiatives, but we'll have to see where that lands. Um, yeah. we've got some, uh, what are some of the other, some, there's a lot of backend stuff too, that isn't really interesting with some of our integrations, uh, in the backend for, um, you know, our website and things like that. So our, our goals tend to not necessarily just stick within the flavor release itself. Like we tend to set goals for the whole uh, sprint, I guess, or whatever you want to call it to include the entire organization. And that's part of the under the bus sort of scenario that we have to develop there too. So we're not firm, but it'll be more towards the applets and the, the snaps and all that kind of stuff. Stability mm -hmm. uh, monitor support, you know, we'll see where we go. We're still trying to nail that down and see what we have for cycles. Cause we try to, be realistic with what we set for goals, you know? So like before you guys asked us like, well, what, what did you miss? Well, we didn't really miss a lot because we, I, th I think we set pretty realistic goals for what we can get done. You guys know what the team's capable of and yeah. within the time frame that you have and set the goals accordingly. That's good. Exactly. So that's, that's where I think it's going to go. We're really trying to just focus and think of what we can do from a hardware point of 
view this time, because now that we, as I mentioned, we have some funds to kind of look at that stuff. Uh, we're going to try to look there and try to backfill some of the stuff that we haven't been able to do in the past. Well, one thing we try to do at Destination Linux is tell people that if you use something, whether it be a distro or a desktop environment, that if you use it and you enjoy it, to contribute to it. So what is it that you exactly need for people to contribute? Where can people contribute? I mean, I know that we talked about the opportunities page. Um, mm-hmm. you, you guys have a Patreon page. Uh, where do. would you tell us what you can do monetarily and community wise? Well, I mean, if, if your contribution preference is monetarily, we have both Patreon and PayPal. They're available off of our website to go and, uh, have a look there. There's, you know, it, a lot of this stuff sort of gets echoed amongst all the flavors. Everyone needs testing. Like the, the testing stuff is so important. Like just to have people who will test the ISOs regularly. Like that's insanely valuable because uh, we obviously can't touch every piece of hardware. People who are willing to install ISOs on real hardware is actually valuable. Um, there's documentation. There's triaging. There's helping other users. Like a lot of this stuff is echoed everywhere because it's needed everywhere, whether it's our group, I'm sure the Kubuntu guys are the same way. I'm sure Solus is that way. Like getting the information in so that we can hopefully make things better is really where everyone needs. I mean, uh, for us as well, I mean, if you want to write code, we've got lots of places to write code, you know, like there's additional uh, applet development. There's always, you know, patching, like even in the Ubuntu ecosystem, like if people want to contribute even uh, closer upstream and, you know, patch uh, security, like there's a whole backlist of things that just need to be patched uh, that will come down, you know, like it's, it's very much the same for everyone and we're no different, you know, it's, it's just having manpower and people that are interested, you know, you got to do what interests you. Yeah. And if you're not sure or you feel like you can't contribute, just come talk to us on the forum. Like we'll point you in the right direction. Yeah, some of this stuff does sound like simple, like, oh, I could install this on a piece of hardware and do beta testing for mm-hmm. them. But it does take a lot of time to do it yeah. right and to communicate back. But it is such an effective way to give back to yeah. a distro that you love, especially if you have mm-hmm. specialty hardware, different kinds of hardware yeah. um, that would allow you guys to kind of have a huge testing you know, base or uh, mm-hmm. spread of different experiences so that, you know, people have a, the same experience if they have NVIDIA, if they have AMD, if they have, you know, high DPI monitor or whatnot. So it is a Commodore 64. Right. Yeah, exactly. Raspberry Pi. Um, like, for example, one of the things we would love to do for 1810, as far as like staffing, we would really love to get a QA manager, like someone who's really going to own that section and drive it through with the testing and, and all of that. Like I, I've been doing the release management, but like someone to handle the QA stuff, because there's a certain mm-hmm. amount of like administrative overhead and just have someone be that, uh, have that be their domain, like their real like ownership type thing. Like that's one of the things we're looking for right now as well. So it just depends how deep you want to get. And if you even just want to, you know, dip your toes in, then you just got to just reach out. We'll put, we'll point you in the right direction. Nice. Very nice. Well, Dustin, it was an awesome talk with you. Uh, yep. I love Ubuntu Budgie. I'm on it right now as my main distro. So I appreciate all the hard work you do and everybody that does on the team. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, being on. All right, Ryan. We want to thank 
everybody that's watching and listening to this podcast for right. everything that you guys do. What else can they do, Ryan? Well, you know, we talk about helping out in areas, definitely helping us get awesome guests like Dustin on here. You can do simple things like podcast ratings. So going in and rating Destination Linux in your favorite podcast app. Of course, hitting thumbs up on the YouTube videos if you enjoy it. Hitting Mash uh, that like button. Subscribing, oh, yeah, subscribing, mashing, all of that stuff. Uh, it does help <laughs> because the more people that, um, you know, show that they're watching and paying attention, the more chance we have to get awesome guests and developers on and help expose their work. So we appreciate anything uh, that you do around those areas and the various platforms that you take this show in. Yep. It is. We have a title for the episode now, Ubuntu Budgie Exposed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, being reminded to subscribe or hit the like button is not my favorite thing, but it is something that, you know, when you say it, it's it's worth saying because it does help. So it's much appreciated. All right, that wraps it up for this week. We will be back next week with another awesome interview. But until then, everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. I mean, there's always going to be iteration and improvements. Uh, It'll come back to what the feedback is from the community. And I mean, so far it's been really good. And if there's a need to continue adding things, and I know there are things already that we're looking at, you know, overall, like for 1810, one of the things we need to work on is the um, like multi-monitor sort of uh, support and feature sets there. Uh, That's some of the discussions we've had. And that's mostly uh, because a lot of our guys don't have the... uh, (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Stand Ryan by. screwed up. The, Ryan, he's the, <laughs> just uh, completely wrecked. Hold on, stand the, uh, by. I think he might have had a bigger problem. Maybe wouldn't be it wouldn't be a destination Linux episode without something like this happening. <laughs> just saying. One of the benefits of going live, you can't edit this all out for people watching at the moment. No. Good thing it'll be added for the uh, regular version, though. (laughs) (laughs) You back, Ryan? I think so. Can you hear me? Yeah. We certainly can. All right. Fantastic. My headphones died, so I have a new pair of headphones. Oh, great. Right in the middle of the show. How convenient. How the heck did you get to the storm back? You know I got that recorded, right? Dang it. (laughs) There goes the rest of my reputation. (laughs) What was left of it. <laughs> you guys let me know if it goes live. Hopefully I did it right. <coughs> get a notification on my phone or anything. Bling. That fool you. Yeah. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> I actually did something right. Hey, we're live, but you went live with the video and not the overlay thing. Of you're course. Supposed to have. No, we're we, supposed we, to have an overlay that covers us because we're like we, hidden in secrecy and we're we like, like surprise. No. We removed all the mystery. We, it would have been mysterious with an overlay. 
Michael no, he's like, never happy. Who are these guys? Why is he no, such a perfectionist? They sound amazing, and then boom, like five minutes in, you show our picture, and they're like, wow, they look as amazing as they sound. And now they can see us instead of I mean, you. I mean, yeah. That last point is totally fair. I, I see? Brian at that point. Yeah. Let me message my, uh, Dustin. He's on Canadian He time. said he was in a meeting about Budgie or something. I forget. more important than us obviously the answer is no dear Canadian friend where are you he's not responding to me wow what's what's a derogatory name I can call Canadian hold on a Canadian a Canuck Canuck. (laughs) listen you maple leaf loving (laughs) (laughs) That's going to really put him in a good mood when he comes on. Oh, Typing in Google, what names can you call a Canadian? <laughs> he said, actually, what is the link to join? No one sent it. Rocco! That is total fake news. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. Fake Rocco. news. It's in his Google calendar. It is in his Google calendar. It's fake news. Don't believe that. Just like Ryan didn't have the links before either, but he did. Oh, my gosh. Rocco, you did it again to us. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Fake news. I'm telling you. Fake news. Our poor Canadian friend was getting insulted, and it wasn't even his fault. They're trying to blame it on me. Poor Canadians. Poor Al- Canuckle. Always getting the bad rap, huh? <laughs> or even Comrade Curio is joining in. Typical Rocco. Oh, wow. That is so wrong. Finally, finally all those people I'm paying off to insult you are coming into the stream. Ridiculous. Dear Dustin, what are you? Hey, Dustin's in the house. Oh, there he is. Yeah, I heard you. (laughs) (laughs) I've been sitting there lurking with my mic muted. Oh, man. Oh, I I didn't really mean any of that. No, he didn't. He was was saying it, but he didn't know you were here, Dustin. Yeah. Yeah, I did. He doesn't mean it, except for like yeah. at all times. Most of it. <laughs> Most of it, I meant. There's a moose in my house. What are you talking to, Boot? Right. Boot. Hey. <clears throat> all right. We're just going to run with this for now. And uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. Really? Did I just say that? I'm recording, so we'll have it for future. Who is taking over Rocco's body? Well, the problem is, you know, people are waiting, so you should probably not make them wait any longer. Oh, no. The show just started 16 minutes ago. Cool, dude. Take your time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why can't you guys be on time? I don't know. Some guest of ours didn't show up because he was in another meeting. Oh, I'm so important. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, you're just jealous. You're right. Let's play CSGO after this, okay? Maybe. Why do you have to be such a perfectionist, Ryan? Yeah, I know. Is it ever going to be? Is it ever going to be good enough? I think about everything, including the cup that I'm going to use. Shoe goddess. I do love my shoes. (laughs) I don't think Michael's seen that cup actually. No, you got to show him. Hey, Michael. Hmm? One of these days, when you step up in the world, you get something like that. (laughs) I cannot wait. Cannot wait. I'll send you one if you want. Awesome. <laughs> Nobody said anything here. I never get compliments. And then as a backup, I have my uh, 
Yeti. I used my Bubba keg like a true Viking. <laughs> Viking. <laughs> ah, whatever. And now for a little shoe goddess. <laughs> so good. Not a chaser, is it? Uh, you do Breakfast of Vikings. <sighs> yeah. It's mead. It's what? Mead. That's what the Vikings used to drink. You know? Dolphin says mead. that we're on Destination Coffee Mug. Yeah, I have a Destination Lakes coffee mug. But, you know, it's so hard to pick a mug in the morning when you've got the choices destination linux mug or shoe goddess you know it's like it's hard to choose which one should represent me more shoe goddess definitely got it i can't believe my headphones died in the middle of the the interview hey i couldn't figure out what happened like everyone went blank and i'm looking at you guys like are they having the same issue i am because a lot of times it's the same issue and so i'm looking to get any signal and then i see you guys just talking and dusted laughing and having a good time but i can't hear anything <laughs> and so I, I started muting and playing around thinking well maybe something got unplugged or whatever and finally i just grabbed a new pair of headphones and plug it in and i can hear sound it, mm-hmm. because i had lost sound for so long be like awkward and then i thought it came back on or it did come back on for a second so i turned stuff back on i just yeah i panicked yeah <laughs> yeah so that thing right at the beginning where rocco said and if you notice a mistake don't worry about it just keep going on i'll cut it out you totally <laughs> ignored that <laughs> i can't believe you panicked ryan of all people you mr viking you panicked i figured it out guys i figured out what happened what the cat spit it in half the cat look at this I've got that special spray that's supposed to keep them from chewing on it. It works real well, as you can tell. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> They're l- literal adorable demons. Yeah, little adorable demons. So for next week's show, watch out for the stuffed cat on the back of the shelf where Ryan's Yeah, sitting. you'll see it. <laughs> going to be taxidermied. It was his time. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still trying to tape your headphones together, or...? I, I'm so these cats are gonna get it. <laughs> turn them into I, meow. Mix. I hope they they weren't like really expensive headphones. Well, oh no, they're just the Audio Technica Air eighty nine hundred Xs. I was uh, gonna say, knowing Ryan, they're probably two hundred quid's worth or two hundred dollars worth. Yeah, two hundred squids. <laughs> Squiddles. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, they definitely. Uh, I'm were. sorry, man. That's that's bad when that happens. <laughs> I think, I mean, I could fix the wire, but, uh, you know, the one annoying thing about these are the best headphones I've ever had were. Um, but were. the annoying thing about these is they didn't have the ability to attach the cable, which a lot of expensive headphones do. Now you so, do. Now you know. Yeah, now. <laughs> now you do. Said he's going to have the cats next week holding up their little sign like a Reddit AMA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry for what I did to the last episode. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But it has to be with the current newspaper so they know they're still alive that day. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I love how they do it in the middle of a podcast. Like, how many times have I been on this computer all week? And they must have just, like, snuck under the the desk and just chewed it to pieces in the middle of a podcast. (laughs) Like, what timing? All right. Uh, Next week, Ryan, I'd like to have proof that they're still alive. (laughs) (laughs) I can't guarantee that'll happen. No, it'll be fine. For the cat lovers out. Oddly enough, my cat does not chew my cables. Yeah, you got a good one. Yeah. <laughs> now he, he he beat him enough, and that's at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't chew his cables anymore. 
I didn't throw too many Canadian jokes in there, did I, Dustin? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. It's okay. I'm, I'm, you had to throw Canadian jokes in there to feel okay about yourself. But <laughs> <laughs> you know him so well. None of the apps shut down. They normally do, or at least it works on my machine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a true developer statement. Uh, yeah, yeah. As as Zeb over talks to you every time. Yeah, like he has a habit of that. He's passive aggressive. <laughs> you guys all love each other. Speak. Look how he smiles with such. He, he didn't even say it. There was no reaction whatsoever, did he? Just you don't even there. have to. He just smiles. <laughs> like you got to sleep sometime, Rocco. <laughs> Wake up with a horse head. <laughs> Thought about it. He's gonna look back. Oh. I think it's what he does on purpose. That's why it's recording. He's Love recording it, yeah. So he can see what we say while he's gone. That Rocco guy. We know what, what you're doing, think? Rocco. Ridiculous. So sick of him and his attitude. Oh, look at me. I'm Rocco with my AR racing chair. Oh, look at me. I just left hey. this chair here, this really hey. expensive chair in the window, just so you guys could drool about it. <laughs> I actually have a crappy chair. I do want one of those. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what he's doing. He wanted you to see his chair. Right, but you also have one of those chairs. <laughs> yeah, I'm not jealous, Rocco. Me too, buddy. <laughs> yeah, do you I'm think there's thinking. actually a window there, or does he just have curtains to a wall? Because <laughs> it looks like it's just a wall. You're not allowed to have windows in a room for for being a nerd. Is no, that, Rocco's isn't, unless he's pulled the blind down. That isn't a window. What's the matter? No, it's not a window. He just put curtains over a wall. Yeah, and, and they're specifically like <laughs> that's what you call a window. <laughs> no, no, that's why there's a light shining on it, so it looks brighter than it really is. Right, because it's just a wall. Yeah. Freaking mm-hmm. beautiful. Okay, we go over and start the show. Do you want to? Yeah, I'm voting yes. Finally. Thanks for your vote. (laughs) Finally. Late as usual. (laughs) 